You are listening to So What, a podcast from Canadian Mennonite University. Hello and welcome to So What. CMU is in Treaty 1 territory, Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm your host, Jonas Cornelson, in Treaty 7, Calgary, Alberta. This episode marks a curious milestone for a podcast on public lectures and events at CMU. By my count, we're into season four, and this is the first time I have attempted a J.J. Thiessen lecture. CMU students and alumni will know why this is daunting. The J.J. Thiessens are an annual lecture series on church and theology that's been around since 1978. It draws big crowds, not least because students in various Bible and theology courses often get some bonus credit for showing up and trying to vaguely understand the content. I think the first one I attended was a 90 minute or so exposition on about four verses in the book of Genesis where Noah gets drunk and falls asleep naked. No parallels to my life as a university student, thank you for asking. Suffice it to say, The idea of interpreting dense lectures like this in a podcast format has always been intimidating. And then this fall, I heard Willie James Jennings, virtually. Suddenly, a J.J. Thiessen lecture podcast seemed both easier and harder. Easier because Jennings is an amazing speaker with compelling quotes that just sound ready for radio, podcaster's dream. Harder because there are just so many of these pieces. What do I pick? If you haven't already, you can listen to the whole lecture on CMU's website, and I would really encourage you to. I'll put a link in the notes for this episode. But whether or not you've heard it yet, maybe let's consider our time here a form of catching up over coffee, and I'm telling you what stood out to me without summarizing the whole lecture. The title of this episode, Parenting Tips for White Men, will come into play near the end as I start to figure out what Jennings' work means for me soon becoming a new parent. Let's get into it. As you know if you've listened before, I always open this podcast with a brief land acknowledgement for both CMU and where I am. And today I'm going to include another land acknowledgement from Willie James Jennings, because it puts our conversation in the context of the broader work that he's doing. Yale University and my home in Hamden, Connecticut is on the unceded lands of Agakwin-speaking peoples, including the Mohican, the Meshtucket, Pequot, the Eastern Pequot, the Skatico, the Golden Hill, Pagasset, the Niantic, and the Quinnipiac peoples. And my goal has been, as I've lived on those lands and I work on those lands, my goal is to honor those lands as those wonderful peoples have and continue to do so, and to join in their efforts to have those lands returned to them. Um, And it is my own land acknowledgement that sets the stage for my lecture this evening, gathering the pieces that remain. Weaving or quilting life together from the fragments of faith, race, and land. 
I'm a good Baptist preacher, so I do my things in three. Yes. As I hinted at before, Jennings is a very good Baptist preacher. Listening to this man talk is delightful and engaging, even while he's challenging some of our society's deepest assumptions. A rare gift. After this opening, Jennings described the modern Western world we inhabit as living inside theft, which is a matter of both act, the act of theft itself, and being, the way that theft shapes our minds and habits. Here he describes what this means and what this means we have to do. My friends, the modern Western world was formed in theft, a shattering, a shattering theft, so wide and so deep that it is a struggle to comprehend its extent. This is no secret to anyone here. It has, however, been easier to accept it and think within it than to sustain a focus on its historical contours and its ever-deepening effects and even more difficult Christian friends, maybe even impossible to think and live against it. We live inside theft and it is a troubled dwelling. The question for us, for those of us who are Christian, and serious about being Christian, is how should we live inside this troubled dwelling? For you students, that's the question I want you to write down. How should we live inside this troubled dwelling? If theft is a matter of both act and being, then our work is both a matter of act and being where we enter a holy, a holy remaking, an urgent recomposition of our lives. That's what I'm talking about tonight. And holy remaking, an urgent recomposition of our lives guided by the Holy Spirit. Just before we move on, I really appreciate Jennings telling the students what to write down. Anyway, I don't have a copy of Jennings' notes for this talk, and I wonder if he even wrote it out word for word like I usually do with this podcast. But I'm guessing we just heard two different spellings of holy going on there. First, W-H-O-L-L-Y in the sense that this remaking touches our whole lives. But his reference to the holy, H-O-L-Y, spirit, also points to this being sacred and deeply spiritual work. This is true, as Jennings said, for those who take being Christian seriously, and I think it extends to anyone in Canada who takes the idea of reconciliation seriously. Now, much of how we got where we are, the theft that we live in, is rooted in the efforts of white European Christians of previous centuries, who not only claimed they could take land, but also claimed that they had complete knowledge of God and what a human life worthy of God looks like. These claims created an image of life that we're still basically living in today. More on that later. We need to know its history and implications if we want to start moving beyond it. Jennings describes how European Christians brought to the, quote, new world, a faith that, being so complete in its knowledge, teaches but does not learn. But listen to him name the great irony of this unwillingness to learn given the very origins of Christianity. 
knowledge. The colonial legacy introduced a form of Christianity into the world that denied to us our identities as learners. Those who, through faith, were made open, made open to learning, which means open to changing, adapting, and becoming new. Changing, adapting, and becoming new. This is the way of the Gentile entering the story of another people, the story of Israel. Adapting, changing, becoming new. This was our birthright that we squandered. Rather, the legacy we inherited placed the burden of changing, adapting, and becoming new on those many colonial subjects, those many would-be Christians who had to live with the full force of colonialism's shattering theft. To recap, Christianity became Christianity in large part through people adopting another people's story and embracing it as their own, somewhat selectively, but the point remains. When later Christians traded learning for teaching and made others change and adapt, it came with a set of lessons about what and who represented full maturity and value as a human being. Unsurprisingly, this mature and valuable human being looked a lot like the people doing the teaching. The colonial settlers aimed the bodies of all peoples toward one particular body, the European body, especially the body of the white European man as the point of full maturity, that full, full maturity. To speak of him, to speak of him is to speak of an image that coalesced all the aspirations for a life of sovereignty in the new world. That life would be characterized by independence and self-sufficiency that would show in one's life what I call three dismal virtues. Possession, <laughs> control, and mastery. It was the dream of the colonial masters to grow his children, his sons, and his daughters into the kind of person who would carry on their legacies. And that, that goal established Western education. It was inside that goal. But the, the image, the image, this image was held up not just to his children, but to everyone and every people. And here we touch and see the image that is the engine of assimilation. I'm pausing here, not only because Jennings does, but because we need a moment to take this in before we move on. This complicated mix of faith, colonialism, and education in the dismal virtues of the white man, which we've just heard described as the engine of assimilation, sets us up to encounter how Jennings describes whiteness. He says it better than I can, so I'll just preface this clip by saying it may not be what you think. And here is where we must understand what whiteness is. It's always important to understand what whiteness actually is. For some people to even say the word whiteness is already to border on hate speech. To just say it for some people already feels accusatory. But to speak of whiteness, 
is to speak of a historical process of identity reconstruction. For the sake of the students, I'll repeat that. <laughs> to speak of whiteness is to speak of a historical process, students, of identity reconstruction. Get that in your notes. Identity reconstruction. Whiteness is not phenotype, students. Not first appearance. Not biology, students, or culture. And everybody, certainly not a part of God's creation. <laughs> certainly not a part of God's creation. Whiteness is a way of seeing the world and a way of being in the world and a way of being seen in the world. All at the same time. Whiteness is a way of organizing the world, making sense of this world. And whiteness is having the power to order one's world, to order one's world, to order one's world by that effort. Whiteness is an engine of aspiration. So when people like me show up and say something like a white self-sufficient dude, a white self-sufficient man, we are not talking about some particular guy of the past or the present, but an invitation. Actually, that's not strong enough. A demand, a demand offered to everyone, male, female, non-binary person of every ethnicity, class, social status, nationality, anyone and everyone touched by the legacies of modern colonialism, especially through Western education, especially through Western education. That demand to become him, to angle one's life and the life of one's people toward him shattered other ways of becoming and maturing. I don't know if I want to analyze that clip or just sit here and dwell in it for a minute. Because this is an audio format, I suppose I should say for clarity's sake that Willie James Jennings is black. You more than likely had that figured out. But that's why he says it seems accusatory for people like him to even say whiteness. But it's not an accusation. It's a revelation of how that colonial legacy has gotten us all trapped in these dismal virtues of possession, control, and mastery, to the detriment of other ways of being. Now, it is a relief to some degree that Jennings is not talking about some particular guy with white skin, like me, but even though whiteness is not ultimately about skin color, I would suggest that those of us with lighter skin need to be a bit more intentional in noticing and attempting to push back on whiteness because it would be relatively easier for us to live in a sort of default mode. We look the part, if you will. This became clearer to me with a more specific example from Jennings on education. He talks about the standards that, through education, whiteness has imposed on all areas of being, everything and everyone being held up against white standards. All people have been told to evaluate themselves according to a white aesthetic, and this has been around forever, but we have not yet faced the truth of it. A vision of the true, the good, the beautiful, the noble, the insightful, and the fully human rooted in the European colonial settler, and its legacy. As we might know, that settler did not just come 
to conquer. They came to compare. And that comparison created not only a hierarchy of value, but a pedagogy of how to value. I wish I could get every teacher to understand this. A pedagogy of how to value superintends whatever pedagogy they have. A pedagogy of how to value, how to know the difference between a beautiful dress and an average one, beautiful architecture, fine food, excellent wine, beautiful music and art, and everything else. Now, I'm not always one to pull out a Bible verse, but when I heard Jennings talk about what makes something beautiful, fine, and excellent, I had an instant flash of childhood memory hearing these words multiple times. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I had to look it up. That's Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. As a kid, I spent all week in school learning about white people, their Renaissance paintings, their Enlightenment inventions, the lands they, quote, discovered, etc. Now, if I went to church on Sunday morning and heard this scripture passage read, how could I think excellent or praiseworthy meant anything besides what I had already been taught to value? That's a big part of how whiteness works. And if that's how it affected me, how could it have been different for any of my friends and classmates who weren't white? And how could the subtext of school and society be anything other than, no matter who you are, you must be like him? Again, not a particular him, but that image of dismal virtue that Jennings laid out. Whiteness remakes everything and everyone in its own image. This has been going on for a long time. So how do we do things differently? I'm going to try to draw this to a close by finally bringing in the title of this episode, Parenting Tips for White Men. As I hinted earlier, at the time of recording this episode, my partner and I are, hopefully, about two months away from the birth of our child. And among other things, like painting a crib and wondering how many reusable diapers is enough, this moment has caused me to reflect on what my child will learn about the world and their place in it. How will I try to teach them what is true, noble, right, admirable, etc., in a way that questions these dismal virtues of whiteness? I just love that phrase. In many ways, I feel uncomfortably seen by it. Without knowing it himself, Willie James Jennings gave me what I consider some really important parenting advice in this lecture. And it comes back to what we talked about closer to the beginning, the difference between teaching and learning, and the practice of entering into the lives of others. I am arguing for a shared weaving that reverses the tragic history of assimilation and draws us all into projects of life recomposition, learning and living in the ways of, pe of the peoples around us, allowing the Spirit of God to draw us into the lives of others and others into our lives. This would mean, this would mean returning to the trajectory that we got off. This would mean returning to the trajectory of the Gentile becoming Christian, entering into the ways of life of other people. Now, I call this parenting advice because it's what's on my mind, but 
I think it's just good life advice for all of us to aspire to. It's a good reminder for me that my kid will pick up on my attitudes and my actions and my habits as much as what I say to them, probably even more. As I said at the beginning, what we've just been through are only fragments of what Willie James Jennings generously offered at CMU this fall. If you haven't already, I'd really encourage you to listen to the whole lecture at cmu.ca slash jjt. By the end, if you don't already, you'll wish that Willie was the host of this podcast instead of me. I'll come back for a couple of quick notes, but I'm going to let Willie James Jennings bring our main conversation to a close with a beautiful poem that he shared near the end of his lecture. It's well worth a couple of minutes here to really let what we've been talking about sink in. You know, consider that wonderful poem, that wonderful poem by the Native American poet Joy Harjoy. And if you have not read Joy Harjoy's work, shame on you. H-A-R-J-O, students. H-A-R-J-O, Joy Harjoy. And she's an incredible alto saxophone player too, by the way. But this poem is entitled, Remember. Listen to Remember. Remember the sky that you were born under. Know each of the stars' stories. Remember the moon, know who she is. Remember the sun's birth at dawn. That is the strongest point of time. Remember sundown and the giving away tonight. Remember your birth, how your mother struggled to give you form and breath. You are evidence of her life and her mother's and hers. Remember your father. He is your life also. Remember the earth whose skin you are. Red earth, black earth, yellow earth, white earth, brown earth. We are earth. Remember the plants, trees, animal life who all have their tribes, their families, their histories too. Talk to them, listen to them. They are alive poems. Remember the wind, remember her voice. She knows the origin of the universe. Remember you are all people and all people are you. Remember you are the universe and this universe is you. Remember all is in motion, is growing, is you. Remember language comes from this. Remember the dance language is, that life is. Remember. Thank you so much to Willie James Jennings. And thank you for listening to this episode of So What? This was a special one for me, both very challenging and enjoyable to put together. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode or what else you noticed in the Jennings lecture. Leave a comment or send a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash so what podcast. You can listen to all our past episodes and subscribe to catch new ones on your favorite podcast platform. As I said last time, we're on a quarterly publication schedule, so I'll be back in three months with another deep dive into some of CMU's latest public programming. Thanks again for listening. My name is Jonas Cornelson, and let's talk again soon.